0: Hello and welcome to the Comedians Outlook podcast. I'm Lee Cantony and this week I'm joined by Preet Singh. He's been on the circuit for about 18 months but has been in and amongst comedy for a lot longer than that. I really enjoyed this conversation with him. It's very interesting to get into his mind and about his world of comedy so I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did.
1: So Preet, how did you first get into comedy? I guess my first ever, ever open mic was at uni. Uh, it was, I was in my final year or my third year or something uh, people at university used to tell me I was funny or like tell like little jokes and stuff I'll, I've always been into comedy uh, since I was like 13 used to love stand-up but like, when YouTube became a thing the first comedy clip I ever saw was um, Dave Chappelle out of Killing him Softly on yeah. YouTube it was like a five minute clip about his Sesame Street thing so I always had it in in, in the back of my mind that I lo- you know I love this thing like stand-up comedy is like just great um so people at university started telling me oh you know you're funny um and i don't think anybody actually said do stand-up but my own narcissism was like i should do (laughs) stand-up so um i picked it up i wrote like i wrote this is actually quite a funny story actually so i wrote down a few jokes uh in inverted commas because they're not really jokes anymore (laughs) it was just like ramblings and um took it to an open mic over down towards Ikenham way okay uh went there signed up at the bar first guy so I'm on second telling him it's my first time and everything they're like yeah Yeah. no problem no problem Um, first guy gets on does a song I'm standing there and I'm thinking this is not funny at all like what the hell he got way too into it where's the punchlines and in my head I'm thinking oh I'm gonna kill this wait till they hear my stuff I get on and this is generally true there's 8 people in the audience and 25% of the audience is dogs Yeah, there were (laughs) 2 dogs in the audience and um, so I do my 5 minute thing people look confused and I'm thinking what the fuck what's going on and I get off the stage The next person gets on Does a song I'd gone on to A music open mic night Okay yeah That's why. how I started yeah. <laughs> yeah They didn't tell me No They didn't tell me anything So I went off And it went so bad I just didn't Didn't do anything Carried on telling people I was a comedian Like yeah. it was in my Tinder bar and everything But then About 18 months later uh, No sorry 18 months ago Yeah I was sat at my desk And I was thinking This life is shit At work I was like This is just awful So I was like Okay let me Let me pick up stand up again Yeah started doing it what once once every like couple of months i've gone on. no once every few weeks i'd say and then in august like I, I over the summer i did this like gig and it went really well And i was like oh shit i should like probably actually start putting in some effort so it's like writing jokes doing everything and since august i've been doing uh anywhere from about three to eight nine times a week mm. um it's really been going well like last especially the last like month or so it's just really like picked up which has been great um so just come back from berlin did a few nights out there um how did you find that did you find the germans all right i had don
0: who's been over at germany as yeah. well so
1: oh it was awesome so i, I only had the, the the spots on the night so i didn't have like mm. my own show or anything yeah. yet um but it was awesome like the crowd was so switched on real international vibe they treat shout outs to cosmic comedy as well that was one of the promotions i did it to um, uh, went to they, would like, treat you so well. Um, they really line up like, and the MCs and stuff. There's a lot of talent out there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just awesome. Like, the whole experience was great. Um, I figured out after my first one that you have to, like, be a little bit slower. The rhythms and stuff are different with your punchlines. Um, you have to also speak clearly. <laughs> yeah, I imagine, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but great. Absolutely great experience. We'll definitely travel again. So have you, have you traveled to anywhere, anywhere other than...
0: I mean, so you've done you've done Reading, um, yeah, obviously. reading, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of nights in Reading, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of um, uh, Reading Union Society does it. There's um, there's a new one as well uh, from from Nick. Uh, it's called Mates Comedy or something. I think. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's really a few nights developing out there. Yeah. Uh, and obviously London is
0: is like the Holy Grail at the moment. It's, you, you can you can get you can get a lot of shit gigs. That's the only thing with London yeah. gigs. But you 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 can get good pretty quick
1: yeah well you know that old adage that you're never three feet away from a rat or you're never three feet away from an open mic in london yeah that's true <laughs> um but yeah there's so much in the, the there's a lot of exciting talent out there as well it's, absolutely it's just a very saturated market i see i see anything yeah it's but if the, you are good you will get paid i think eventually yeah 100 percent. you just have to like keep keep at it and stuff and i think um i think i got into that spot where i was really like okay i need to start getting paid now you know i've had like three good Three good gigs like I need to get paid I need to do this I need to do that um, but then some of the more experienced acts was just like man just like have fun and I was yeah. like damn that's like a simple sentence like that really makes you shift your mindset and um that's exactly what happened like since I since I was like okay let me actually try and be a good comedian rather than try and like just rush my way through it um, since then my writing and stuff's gone gone up a level I think uh, the risks and stuff I take on stage as well getting up there um but yeah, so just have fun, I guess. Uh, like that's been my favorite thing to come out of it. So you're not you're
0: not in a rush anymore to start getting paid for gigs. Obviously, we all want to be paid for it so we can do it as a living, but uh, you know, it's it's good it's good that you've you've changed your mindset and you're just going to do it for the love of it and if it reaps rewards then then brilliant.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I think life is so like like normal day everyday life is, can be so serious. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, "Okay, I've got to do this to get a promotion. I've got to do this to do that." Um here you've got something that could literally just be fun and then as you progress and get better and better, you are gonna. It's, it's kind of like I, I do it a lot. Like, so I used to work out a lot and stuff and i kind of like link it back to that. Yeah. Where it's like yeah. you don't get paid to go to the gym no. but you do it because you you like it, you play five a side because you like it. Do that and if you've got the talent, you'll eventually make it. It's like now, like the more risks and stuff I take and the, the more fun I have with it, the more like rewards you reap, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: So, are you,
0: are you were you born and raised in, in England?
1: Yeah, so I, um, I'm a second generation immigrant. So, uh, my parents came over in the late 70s, um, settled in Reading. We've got quite quite a bit of family and stuff in Reading. Reading has quite diverse fields. Yeah, there. I've
0: got family out there. Yeah,
1: yeah so like a lot of, um, I know like quite a few people from different backgrounds and stuff. So, it was it was almost a melting pot to some extent. Um, but yeah, so born and raised in Reading. Mo- went to uni in London. Um, and yeah, th- 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 that's been me. So I think, um, I'm very, i have very much a product of two worlds, mm-hmm. the brown world and the white world. <laughs> right. So, so where, where were your parents originally from? Parents were from Punjab in North India. Yeah. Uh, borders onto Pakistan. Um, they moved at my mum's granddad. Moved, uh, no, my mum's dad, sorry. My granddad moved over here in the seventies. Um, right. economic, for, for economic reasons. Um, and they settled out here since that, and for the benefits, yeah. <laughs> um, free healthcare. Yeah, so they settled out. They, they settled down over here, and you know, thankfully, you know, family's doing well and stuff, prospering. So
0: yeah, I mean, so, so London's quite a quite a diverse place anyway. I mean, how have you found? I don't know racial segregation in that sense. I mean, I just wondered how you found found the oppression in that in, in comedy particularly
1: yeah so like when it comes to like I think race has always been there I think down towards what probably about ten years ago it was getting pushed down a little bit and it became more of a taboo thing whereas now where you have the like the rise of quote unquote alt right politics and Donald Trump and brexit it's coming to the forefront again it's kind of lifted the sheet yeah. off of how we as a society were trying to cover it up so I think in the long run this will probably be a good thing because it brings out People. The left, the left side, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It, it shows you what people really are, and like we're not actually as far gone as we thought we were. Um, but when it comes to comedy, again, you see it, you hundred percent see it. Um, when when promoters are booking lineups, you mean? Yeah, uh, again, and we were talking about this off air as well, weren't we? Where um, you see it from an extent where you know a, a promotion, a specific promotion, you go through their four, or five, six last last gigs. And all of the comedians happen to be, you know, know, white. Um, All from British backgrounds, from the names and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But then, as we were talking off air, you have to kind of... I'm not one of those people that likes the diversity quotas and, like, the the BBC diversity quotas we were talking about. I'm not a big fan of those. We need to investigate what the actual and understand what the actual problem is you need to get
0: down to the core of it and yeah. why why is it still about why is this it's like like you say the 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 birth of the right and the, the far right sort of um racist kind of outlook that you get from people like nigel farage and, and his party and stuff creates the birth of the, the extreme left and really the country's only ever been prosperous when you're somewhere in the middle
1: you yeah, uh, yeah, so, a, 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 mil- a million percent man, like just to pick up on what you just said there. The extreme left are almost as ridiculous as the extreme oh, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if, to bring it back to comedy, it's interesting
0: it's interesting that promoters are still nervous. Do you think it's because of the content you might speak about or
1: I in all honesty, I'm not 100% sure. So, uh it could be a conscious bias uh based around material or oh, you know, this is going to be a conservative White audience, we don't want somebody to come in and talk about. i the balance. Yeah, exactly. And like, it could be anything. It could be a sub subconscious bias, a conscious bias, or it could generally just be a lack of talent. uh And that's something that people neglect. I, I I don't personally think that that's an issue, but we've never actually addressed that. Where you know, could it could it be a lack of talent? Comedians that are now like up and coming. Um, who aren't ready for those pro level gigs or semi pro gigs? Because I see it, I, I see it on the open mic circuit. There's a, there's a lot of black and ethnic minority comedians, yeah. and even like you know, gay comedians, trans, transgender comedians. You see a lot, a lot of them, but it could be because our attitudes over the years have changed so much that they now that they now feel comfortable to put themselves in a position to be in front of an audience.
0: It's really it's a really weird one, and it's quite difficult for me as a white person <laughs> to to talk about it because I. I naturally have to be careful myself. Because, yeah. Um but do you think that because of the the swing to the left, it's opened a door for people to come out and be ethnic or be different or be you know, to be to come out and be be gay openly on stage. And do you think that now there's actually a saturated market in that sense that of people that are trying to do the same thing
1: it's it's really hard to say and like one of the things that i always say to people i don't have the answers i just raise questions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like so and that's this- a, that is a really good question as well where you know i do bump into a lot of people who are who are doing different kinds of nights okay so this is a lbgtq night this is i've never seen an ethnic night actually but like <laughs> lbgtq tends to be a big one or like yeah. You know, you you see it in the comedy collective all the time like because they're trying to make their lineups diverse. So they're like, okay, only female comedians. Yeah. Or only, okay, I need, you know, somebody who's not a straight white dude. And I kind of think if I was a straight white dude and I was a comedian and like, you know, you've been working your ass off for however long, you know, you've been doing it for six years or whatever. And like, you see that, that'd be so demoralizing. You're like, I'm good enough for this gig, but I can't can't apply because they're trying to make the lineup diverse. Does it not highlight the
0: issue by having to have... All female lineups or all ethnic lineups, because or, or giving giving people opportunities purely because they're from an ethnic background, and in some ways that's racist in itself because you're segregating them anyway. You know, it might yeah. be great that they get an opportunity, but you're actually just highlighting that there is an issue.
1: Yeah, so effectively, what you're doing with let's say let's say a promoter is running a mm-hmm. night and he realizes, okay, shit, I've only got straight white dudes on this lineup. Let me go out and get a um, lesbian black female comic. In yeah. your head, you've you, you've already separated them out into a group that's categories. separate yeah. to an actual comedian. Yeah, it's like what you should be doing is you should be endeavouring to treat everybody the, the same way because equality is equality. Yeah, and like it speaking, split down the middle. A hundred percent, and and like seeing and i And I do think so the equality point there, I do think that there has to be a sense of equity in there, and that's the actual balancing point. How do you balance equity and equality yeah so if you're if you're noticing okay across the London comedy scene, we've got a hundred a conservative estimate, a hundred comedy nights running, and out of those hundred nights, only two have like representative lineups, okay shit, we need to get some equity in here, mm. but then what should be done is that there should be an actual consideration for, okay, what's the, what's the driving factor behind it? Are we actually, are all promoters racist or is there a lack of talent or do we have, um, a subconscious bias? Hmm. Or is it as we as comedians... So I Again, going back to me, because I don't, I, I don't want to get caught up in this race shit. <laughs> like, somebody's tweeting on Twitter, oh, we got a brown, token brown guy. He's, he's fucking coconut. No, um... <laughs> he said it himself. He said it himself. <laughs> oh, no, no. I use coconut freely. I know so many coconuts, man. <laughs> I fucking hate him. No, uh, no, I don't. I don't. Don't report me. Um... Jesus. <laughs> nah, I'm... Uh... <laughs> Um, going back to myself as well, when I when I do quote unquote white people jokes, and a lot of my set is based around the the interaction between the traditional Punjabi cultural side of me and growing up brown, yeah, and interacting with the wider white world. So most of my friends growing up were white. Um, people are coming to, like I, I date white, and like all all of that sort of stuff. And I think there is so much humour to be gained from there, from those two worlds interacting. So I think. um I think you have to make a conscious effort to actually engage with the audience. So when I do these white people jokes, I have to package them up in a way where I'm like, right from the outset, I'm not attacking any group of people. This is actually my world. So I notice the differences in white people and how um, when I date a white girl she'll have questions that come across so ignorant. It's funny. Like being asked if I'm doing Ramadan and just like, we've been dating for eight months, bitch, come (laughs) on. (laughs) What what are you doing? Uh, And then like the, the Brown world as well, where my parents would just be like, you know, they don't understand. They don't have the, that cultural understanding of why white people do certain shit like debt personal debt is such a white thing that that should be on the national flag white people love personal debt car <laughs> loans minus, credit card. yeah minus sign. <laughs> yeah exactly just <laughs> card, credit cards <laughs> all that shit and they'll never understand that that sort of stuff and I, when i pick up on it it's, it's different to me yeah yeah it's it's, it's, it's just one of those things and i think we can't shy away and you mentioned something there as well where you were like i have to be careful talking about race of course you do, because, I, I, because it would take, be taken out of context. Yeah, a, a million percent. If I was to edit it up and I was like to to fuck around with my vocal cause and be like, yo, man, that guy called me a coconut. Like, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> I really get you into some shit. But I think white people... And I see dumb shit on Twitter as well, man. I know this is so disorganized, but like, I've got so many thoughts in my head. Uh, <laughs> I see dumb shit on Twitter all the time as well. Like, I saw a tweet from one of these quote-unquote woke accounts. Okay. Uh, I think it was from America. I think it was from America. Mm. And what I heard was oh white people should not be involved in any conversation about race i'm like no because like that's not how a, a like you know that's not how you build a functioning multicultural society no exactly you have to allay people's fears you have to bring them into the conversation and come up to you know even if like ignorant white people like and i think a lot of like this shift to the right is actually based on ignorance mm. um like not actually knowing or understanding it or not being yeah. willing to understand it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think if I was to go up to the average lay person, be they black, brown, white, and ask them, okay, what contribution have immigrants made to society? They couldn't give a quantifiable answer. Yeah. You can't say, okay, immigrants actually contribute X to the economy or immigrants... and like, but Again, some of it's just dumb shit. Like you can see, I walk down the average high street and you'll see a curry house. So imagine if that curry house was a roast shop like, that'd be fucking awful. Roast white people are awful. Up your gravy game. That's all I can say. <laughs> like, <laughs> Excuse me, mate. I find that very offensive. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. Report me to Twitter. You, yeah. Start your own movement. Start, <laughs> <laughs> white people's
0: movement. Bring, bring back English culture. What is English culture? This was, was, for as long as I've been alive and my parents have been alive and before that and your parents have been alive, it, c- c- culture in England is about multiculture. That's, that, that is pretty much British culture. Yeah, And because if you go back to as early as the, like the 50s, you know, the Car- 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 Caribbeans came over to mm-hmm. the, the UK and we welcomed them in and we, we ate their food, we listened to their music yeah. and everything like that. We, we have always been open to these things. And I think yeah. that's something that Britain should be proud of is that across the world, we're one of the, we're one of the main sort of hubs for multicultural. Yeah. And I just think the way we're going about it is wrong. I mean, this whole Brexit thing saddens me. Like, just purely because. Yeah. And, and I like this. I like this podcast to be like. You know, I like it not to be like set in time, so people people can come back to it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. if you listen to this in five years' time, are we out of Brexit or are we
1: in <laughs> Brexit? What, what actually happened? While you're gnawing on the bone of like some toddler baby, like just fucking running out of food and shit. <laughs> I, I record. Box. I record two versions. One one that we're out of Brexit <laughs> and one that we're in still. Uh, and. But yeah, no, I, I think exactly, and I think everybody, near enough, every sane person who doesn't have like their own private agenda acknowledges multiculturalism is a good thing. Yeah, and I, and again, part of my set is devoted to how coming into like British culture is actually um, been beneficial to our traditional culture, yeah. and it dilutes some of the the traditions there, like arranged marriage. Arranged marriage is a big big, big portion of my, um, mm. my 20 minute set. Yeah. yeah, And it's like, that's not is... forced, marriage It's arranged. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then like, I, I'm like so thankful that we moved to fucking England just so I don't have to get an arranged marriage. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and it dilutes that element of, all Do you know, what? I know,
0: I know quite a lot of white British people that would appreciate such an each ride without having swipe laboriously on Twinder until you finally find somebody that yeah. actually likes the way you look. And actually just know that your parents have already sorted it out for you.
1: True. You don't have to, you don't have to shower. You don't have to dress yeah. up. You just turn up one day and you're like, oh shit, it's my wedding. This is great. Yeah, <laughs> But um, yeah, and, and like, we need that appreciation. And I think that should actually be emphasised more in schools where it's like, there is no succinct, there is no um, siloed British culture. There is no siloed um, Indian culture in Britain. There is no siloed Somalian culture everybody intermingles yeah. and creates this melting pot which then gives a rise to like one of the best things about me I think is the fact that I'm bilingual and yeah. have a appreciation for two two different cultures yeah absolutely creating yeah. a third culture and then you're like okay shit I understand all of these different facets of society yeah. whereas if I was cut off from one of them I'd be fucked
0: yeah that's true you spoke about schools I mean I when I was at when I was at school I was in primary school yeah all Right there, there was still like a slight hangover of of kind of like a racist era, like you remember, in like the eighties, yeah, yeah. was was pretty bad for anyone that isn't, yeah, um, like white in England with that with like the skinheads and and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: I had a teacher that came in. I went to the worst. It was the worst school in Cambridge. It, yeah. was, it was in the next year, but it was literally
1: the worst one in the whole of Cambridge. <laughs> And we had a... Worst like, school in Cambridge is very much like saying you're the poorest billionaire. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I've been
0: mugged before by a Cambridge person and they only needed the money for a, a tailored seafood bag.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Carry on. Go on. No, I'm That's
0: right. So there we had, um, we had a, a head teacher that came in for special measures, like just as a, a temporary yeah. measure. And he was the most sort of right wing prick you'd ever meet. And I always remember one thing he did was so, someone took a shit in your urinals, which is never, <laughs> which is never good. No. Like, it's, it's, no, none of us thought it was cool that someone did that. Yeah. But he called all the boys into this, the into the assembly, and we we're all at like, seven years old. And he just terminated. Someone has taken a shit <laughs> in the urinals, and everyone just laughed. Of yeah. course, we're seven. But there was when the, around that time the Brazil it was the Brazil World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And it was because of the time shift we we it was in the morning of the game so we got to we basically got to see the second half before school started, so yeah. we'd all go into the assembly and and go and yeah, watch yeah. it. But the the day before that, that England game against Brazil, he had those. Do you remember those old projectors that you'd have those those like their plastic sheet and yeah. they'd write like like song lyrics on it, and you would all have to sing it. Yeah, right. He had that up and he projected it on, and it was just England, <laughs> England, and he got the entire school to sing it. Yeah, right. And we and that was one of the most because the area I grew up with, I mean. Uh, relative 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 to the rest of Cambridge it was a shithole yeah right so it was like one of those places that had all the multicultural in one place and looking back that is so wrong <laughs> that is so wrong to be to have that assembly where you're getting people from all over the world or a second generation yeah. from all over the world oh, to see, sing England an English anthem
1: oh see so I so uh, this is we've taken a weird turn into dystopia because I'm about to disagree with you here yeah. you've got a white guy being like that's fucked up and I'm like well so I, I remember I remember growing up, so growing up, my parents were very, so I come from a uh, a Sikh household, right? Right. So both my parents are Sikh, my mum especially, she's very religious, always has been. So I remember being five or six and at our school assemblies, they'd get us to sing hymns, like Christian Church of England uh, hymns. And I went home to my mum and I was like, mum, can we, are you comfortable with this? They're they're like, Jesus this, Jesus that. And my mum was like, listen man, like, do you think you're Christian? Does she call you man? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. My mum's very, very ghetto. She'd elbow me. No, no, no. She was like, she was like, oh. All right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> fucking hell, right? Do you fucking think you're Christian, son? No. Nah, um, She was like, oh, do you actually... Like, are you Christian or are you Sikh? And I was like, I'm, I'm Sikh. She was like, well, there you go then. You can say whatever you want. Just go go take part. And I think that, that appreciation was there. But from like my mum's perspective, she was like, okay... So this this is the way that school does things, and it's the Church of England school. Yeah. So just do it. So, and I... The, sorry, I, I digressed again, but the the England chant that you mean, the England anthem that you, that you were talking about there, I think patriotism is dumb on a wider scale, but when it comes to, like, football and sports events and shit, I think if you don't want to sing it, you shouldn't be forced to sing it. No. Like, so nobody should be taken out of that assembly and, like, I don't know. It was a right-wing school beaten or some shit or molested. I don't know. Right-wing people do weird shit. Um, but like, it's not. It's, it's not an inherently bad thing. You're in England. It's it's an English football team. If you don't want to sing it, don't sing it. Yeah. If you're not into
0: football. You're not into football. What about what about people? This is another thing that annoys people in England, yeah. and we don't we we can't really say much about it. That's the annoying thing. What about flying flags around like football time as well? Like <laughs> it goes mental. Like, people get yeah. banned from having flags of the British thing, but wherever you go. And if you go in Europe, yeah, um, you can do what you want,
1: like, that's yeah. Fine. It's it, again, it's strange. So I, I've got a weird relationship with England flags. And um, when we were poor, when we were younger, we were pretty poor, so we used to go to all of these like seaside towns and stuff in lieu of actual proper abroad holidays. Yeah, and um, we were going down to a place called Hailing Island, which is down towards Portsmouth. One of my dad's friends had recommended. My dad has a lot of white friends, and one of his friends had recommended it. He was like, "Oh, it's a brilliant town." Go on, go on, son, just take your family there. That was like, okay, cool. And when we were going down there, as we got more and more into, like, right-wing territory, all we could see was England flags, like, those British flags with the bulldog on it and stuff. Oh, God, yeah. And we're like, okay, where, where are we actually going? And that was the first flag to notice that something was up. We get to the park... And we're in there for three minutes, generally. So I'm eight at this time, my brother's five, I'm with my cousin, he's about 13, 14, and my two parents. We go in, and to the right, there's a roller coaster. And this is a genuine true story. It sounds like I'm bullshitting, right? So we go into the park, we've walked into the seaside pier bit, and somebody at the top of a roller coaster's pointed down at us and shouted, Packay! No way. I swear, Dancy, but because the roller coaster's gone down at the same time, it's become elongated. So yeah. it's just become that this massive screen. Everybody in the park turns around and looks at us, not the guy shouting the racial abuse. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my relationship with England flags. So. And, what,
0: and what happened afterwards? Like, we had to just, leave. You just had to go. Yeah, yeah. and
1: later on, there was actually a, a stabbing in that same park where a black dude did get stabbed. I don't yeah, know if really. it's racially motivated, but we didn't see any other ethnic people while we were down there. Okay, where was this? H- Hailing Island. It's down towards um, Portsmouth Way. I'm sure it's a real nice place now, so don't hate me, people. At eight years old, to go through that is pretty bad. I mean, yeah, it it, it, it was it was strange because like my mum used to tell me stories about the National Front, and like there was a story where the National Front actually came to a park by our house, and my dad was at work, and my mum had to flee the National Front. They were knocking on doors and stuff, and she had to hide in her own house because you could see into our living room, so she hid behind a sofa they were knocking down, like skinheads were knocking on the doors to be like, oh, we're looking for any blacks or packies. And that was that was like a run at the... So like, we grew up with this shit and my parents didn't really shelter us from it. And they were very much like, uh, you know, these are just bad people, you can't like judge. Yeah, exactly, people. yeah. It doesn't, it, it's not,
0: it's, you know, they're, they're not bad people because they don't understand, they're just bad people. Yes. Well, it doesn't matter where you're from or what you believe in. Yeah. If you're a prick, you're a prick
1: yeah 100% I mean yeah. it's
0: just that's uh, just a universal thing yeah you know a prick is a prick
1: yeah 100% <laughs> and then like them taking that approach really meant that you could like distinguish between the two so you're never like sheltered from it so you're like okay no that's racial abuse it's wrong but not all people are going to be like that yeah and thankfully to that level there's only been like a handful of instances tell me about the worst gig you've ever had the worst gig would probably be so I'd done the blackout up the creek this is probably about six months ago
0: oh I know up the creek yeah yeah
1: so it's like a room which is like so it's like a gong show style yeah, uh, yeah. amazing like 150 people I don't know how how many actually 150 to 200 people in a room I was sold out that day packed at the back I did really well really well I like, got, got video went incredibly well Did my full five minutes. The next day, I was booked to do an open mic. Literally a stone's throw away from the place as well in East London. Yeah. And again, I was expecting open mic is going to be about 20 people. Got there, it was about 60 people. I don't know what happened. I did the same set, but I watched the video back again. I think it was nerves or something. I don't know what it was. I had not one laugh
0: really and
1: how, yeah. how, how,
0: that as a five minute set uh,
1: five minute set I think it ended up being a seven minute set because I didn't want to leave on like no laughs. laughs so I just kept on going
0: one for the record
1: absolutely awful but since then I realised okay I have to treat different audiences in different ways yeah I think that would divide people as well that because if you think about it if you do your five
0: minute set and you get dynamite at that five minute set yeah that's the that's the set that's probably going to get you noticed yeah eventually Right, so one of the first things you learn in comedy is to just get your solid five minutes and then just repeat it for about a year. Yeah, and then after that, start playing with it a bit more. But just get that
1: absolutely dynamite. Um, yeah. So, so I, ha- uh, so just picking up on that, I had differing. So I, I heard different views. Like a lot of people did say that, like stick to that five minutes, just get it right, do this. But then I always found that I, if I, if I, if I fuck around with, so. I was fucking around with it too much at the start to the point where it just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. I got my five minutes locked in and then I just started messing around with that. I turned that five minutes into 10 minutes. Yeah. By and adding then, a few little bits. By yeah. adding a few little bits, different ideas and stuff. But then since then, now I just like, sometimes I go up on an open mic stage and just do crowd work. Yeah. And then that's yeah. How you like. Which is equally good to do because
0: if you can learn to do that, then if your five minute or 10 minute set is going falling flat, you've yeah. got that in the bag you can always you can always go to the okay what's happened in the room today? Yeah. what can I pick on in this room today and I was talking to the last podcast that I did with Paul Kerr. he was telling me about how he he does m c and just to learn how to interact with the audience. So now if he he gets like 2 minutes of silence because one his jokes haven't been landing, he knows then he can just pick on something that's happened and just and just run and run that way and come yeah. back maybe to
1: Yeah, a, a million percent I think that's what I'm kind of learning now as well, where it's like if some some crowds they say it's a forty strong crowd at an open mic night, let's say 20 of them are from the same work do. They don't yeah. want to sit there and listen to you do your 5 minutes of earth shattering material they want they want you to pick on people they yeah. want you to pick on their friends and that's half the room there and then if you can turn that into something and I've, I, that's actually based on a real experience as well where two minutes of my material didn't work I had 10 minutes to go for the next eight minutes I fucked around I ended up doing fucking great yeah and that's something you learn I think and I'm still learning which is which is great that's what makes this so fun man yeah you'll never stop learning man yeah like it's really it's funny it's funny when people watch um
0: like proper big TV names and then they think that that's what being a comedian's about because, <laughs> yeah. because I was speaking to Martin Westgate um, a few weeks back and he was you know he was saying advising people to just watch people that are on the circuit yeah. so watch the, the people that may not be TV names but the ones that are working like the normal comedy clubs and yeah. open mic nights and stuff like that because if they're experienced they're the ones that are doing the real work where they're having to gauge audiences having to absorb what's happening in the room and then do a set based on what they've, they've seen. I mean, I've seen comedians come to gigs late and then done a set that's been pretty much covered throughout that set. So, you know, she comes on a day, someone does like, I don't know, Trump stuff, but people have already had Trump jokes. You know, it's just, it's just hard. You have to gauge that. I always like to be there pretty early so I can read the room. Yeah. And if like, and you you measure people that have been on before you, so sometimes you can do a bit off the back of something that they've they've done, or something that's happened in the room. Like recently, there was a there was a German couple in our in our in our, in, in one of my gigs, yeah. and it was hilarious because they 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 were a great sport, but everyone kept speaking to them. So then there were, there were like a whole loads of jokes that had right. been created because of that. So then to, to to add on to that particular running joke for the whole yeah. night was was just easy work and
1: how how, how long do you think it took you to learn that as in to really engage with what's happening in the room I think I think the more you die the more you notice it so like I
0: um, so yeah there was one there was one where someone did a whole set about wanking about living (laughs) alone right and it was actually Paul Kerr and he was talking about living alone and I could listen to um, everything quite loudly have a loud wank and everything like that because he lives alone and stuff and Mm -hmm. And I've advised him to get a surround system because it adds to the whole, the, whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, so I went on and I said, well, I'm glad he's enjoying living alone, but when I lived alone, I used to have a crank as crying and wanking at the same time. <laughs> but if you time the tears, you can use it as lubrication.
1: Nice, yeah.
0: And that was just off the back of his set. Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah. And, and sometimes I think if you have like a half baked idea as well, and something in the rooms happened where, so I, I, I had, an, <laughs> please don't judge me, people, but I had an R. Kelly bit, right? Okay, yeah, well, that, that would have worked about a month ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, now it's all about Michael Jackson, You could, yeah. <laughs> but I had an R. Kelly bit, which I really wanted to like, and it was half-baked, it wasn't stage ready, but then I found somebody in the stage who was, they were on a date, and the the, the woman's really, looked really young, Right, and the dude looked really old, and they were like, "Oh, we've been together for like four years." That, that's definitely oh, they've been together
0: for that. I, yeah, so I already looked at that and think that's definitely a Tinder date.
1: Yeah, oh yeah yeah, hundred percent. You would have thought so, but I don't know how he secured this. Like seriously, it was like world class level. He didn't look rich or anything, but anyways, <laughs> and off the back of that, like everything just fit my R. Kelly stuff. Off right. the back. and the crowd was like what a raucous crowd it was late night they really loved that shit yeah, yeah yeah since then that set again it's gone into the drawers into the abyss yeah until R. Kelly does some other fucked up shit I'm the only person that's hoping R. Kelly doesn't go to prison so he can carry on doing all this shit so I can get that set out again <laughs> yeah I. Oh, so sad <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't see it but that was a real disgusted face there. <laughs> What's your sense of humor like? What the fuck? That's yeah, a no, weird question. No, no, no. I, so I asked this question. I like, I like to, I like encountering other because mine's quite wide. So I go from like James Acaster, yeah, to Dave yeah. Chappelle and like. I'm, I'm a big Jeffrey. fan of Dave,
0: uh, James Acaster. He's he's one of those that's remained pretty humble throughout it. I mean, yeah. I know. I don't, I, haven't, I, haven't, I don't know him personally all that well, but I, I know people that, have, you yeah, know, yeah. comedians that know him quite well and stuff, have seen him with the Red and the Fringe and all that sort of stuff. And I know that he, he did a gig for someone this side <laughs> in Cambridge, and he, at the end of the set, he said, that was shit, I don't want to be paid for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Literally, he said it wasn't good enough. So, he's, so he's still, he still does clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's, he's one of those who's gone from like being seriously poor but getting like stranded in in like cities yeah. because he's got no way of getting home mm. and having to sleep in a bush
1: yeah
0: to where he is now so i think he's one of those that's really builds
1: that important. character doesn't it that that, that kind of
0: journey. yeah he's lucky though in that sense because he does so many scrapes like that because mm. he does this classic scrapes thing and that, and it's unbelievable it's it's hard to believe that most of that's true yeah like the stuff that's happened to him like he's crashed his car numerous times Um, he's nearly died numerous times he's nearly killed people numerous times from just driving so he stopped driving because of that (laughs) his insurance got too expensive yeah and yeah but he he deserves everything he gets because he's really worked he's one of those comedians that's gone through the hard 10 year yeah smog yeah exactly yeah
1: but like what? So, so yeah. So going circling back to the question, what's your what's your personal sense of humor like? Are you tend to be I, pretty I, dark, I range whimsical. From it. I like I like dark. I think dark's good
0: because I think you you need to joke about the things that are hard. It, it varies, really. I mean, I, I going what I grew up watching were things like Only Fools and Horses and and programs like that and Faulty Towers and, and all sorts of yeah. They, they're the things that I watched growing up. But in terms of stand up comedy, Billy Connolly was right, yeah. probably it's probably is will always be my all-time favorite, favorite comedian and it's you know you, you, you go through your favorites and then and then someone like peter k who did the, like the relatable stuff that kind of started that and um, was one of the main ones to start the kind of family stuff so now yeah. you've got people like michael mcintyre that are doing work on the back of that mm-hmm. um you know the real relatable stuff, and then and then as far as people like Joe Joe Wilkinson, who, yeah, oh, that, yeah, he just cracks me up yeah. because of his yeah, whole yeah, persona. Yeah. And I know it's a character, but I just I just it just makes me laugh so much. And then people like Diane Morgan, who he, used, he was one of his double acts. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they did they had a double act together. I think when she did like that cunk on Britain, I mean, that, she does that so stupid ignorant yes. sort of person. Yeah, 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 yeah. She does that so brilliantly. Um, I think unfortunately for her there was someone like Carl Pilkington came out and he was genuinely just stupid yes yeah. so her stuff looked like a bit, a bit manufactured yeah. but
1: I, I, I love um, Catherine Ryan as well
0: yeah Catherine Ryan's great I, yeah I, I do actually really like her as well I, and,
1: and I'm surprised that a lot of people like say negative shit about like even on Twitter and stuff they'll say negative stuff about her but I'm like her joke writing is on point. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah. I saw her Netflix special as well, and it was like laugh out loud, funny and stuff. But I don't know, there's, there's so, so many comedians, man.
0: What's the one gig that you, you've come out of and you thought, fucking hell, I'm great at
1: this? Uh, not to brag, but there have been a couple like that. <laughs> um, I would say the first time I did the Blackout Out of the Creek for that twenty-four hour period was it was just great. Afterwards, I was like shit. So I can control the room. I can do this. Um, Brighton in general has been great. Oh, MCing, uh, my first MC spot. That was the, you really enjoyed that, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think crowd work and MCing because you can weave your material and stuff in. Mm. But then you could all like it is your job to play on what's going on in the room, get to know people in that room, come up with punchlines on the spot. That went really well. And then I was like, okay, this is awesome. And now I've got, I think over the next like 10 days, I've got three MC gigs. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to those. I'm, I'm looking to just get out there, fuck around with the crowd. and. Um, so you, are
0: you going to use that to get get a bit more sort of confidence in that? Are you so, Yeah. And then bring that eventually into your, your standard set?
1: Yeah, 100%. So I've actually started doing that now. If I get like a 20-minute spot, um, I'll always, there's, there's like a couple of holes in... The, in, in my bits where I can play on what's going on in the room and I, yeah. I'm trying to build my set into that way where I can have that interaction um, it's not for all rooms so that's what I'm trying to figure out and figure out how to actually do that properly rather than it just sort of be some idiot rambling on kind of like how I've been on this podcast <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's where it's a conversation man that's where it's meant to be
1: how long have you been in the game for again I, well
0: I, I did I did my first sort of gigs when I was like 16 oh really young and yeah. then i stopped because what what followed was like a, a manic episode with bipolar so i right. I, I, I you know I, I saw quite a quite a negative thing attached to comedy so i i just put it off for so many years gotcha. so i only came back to it a couple of years ago and yeah. and yeah so now i'm just i'm just i, I was writing for probably that whole time mm-hmm. um and now and now i've you know, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm just, just gigging as much as possible, really. And do you think, do you think people have an appreciation for how hard it is to actually do comedy? I think or so. Do you think it's like overstated?
0: I think so because no one, no one likes to see an, a, a comedian die on their ass. <laughs> like, I think there's a, there, there's an element of people feel guilty, like they, they've yeah. got up and they've done that, but they, they're not funny and. and I, there's nothing worse than coming off and someone like well done for getting up
1: <laughs> <laughs> fuck off like, or pity laughs
0: yeah i hate fucking pity laughs oh, i don't care man i'd take the laughs, <laughs> no,
1: no, i call it out I've, I've had like situations where like a joke's flopped like i've done a whole build-up to this yeah. one big punchline the big punchline's flopped and then there's a pause where everybody's like what the fuck there'll be somebody who's like extra supportive gives it a laugh and i'm like fuck you yeah, Fuck I once you, grenadine.
0: Yeah, I once forgot my. I once forgot my. Um, what's it? I, I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> but I once, I once forgot my set. Like part of the way through, I just got lost in my set. Was, I think it was one of the first gigs I ever did. Yeah, and all I could hear was my my misses laughing. Right, oh. so she laughs as I did it. <laughs> uh, so. Shit. But then, but then that caused a laugh around the room. Yeah. And I, I went down the route and I said, it's good to know that I brought my, my lady across because I'm just about to die my ass and she's the only one that can laugh right now. <laughs> And then it recovered the situation. Oh, and no. I, I got in and recovered it, you know, continued the set. But, yeah. You know, sometimes I hope for things like that to happen because it actually just helps you along. But yeah. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not that experienced in it, man. But I've done, I've done some big gigs. I mean, I've done Mirth, mirth Control Comedy, yeah. which is a big deal in Cambridge. I think they have places out like in Farnham and stuff like that yeah, yeah. um so yeah i i, I want to get out of doing like five minute sets now my the night I run, I do ten minute sets now minimum occasionally yeah. I might get the odd five minute in, but I think it's important to break away from five yeah. minutes. There's so many in London, but people like martin Westgate have never never did five minutes when being in norwich he he did you know he he started on tens yeah. and now he struggles to do tens because yeah, it's um. It, it's quite hard to, to get a message across in five minutes
1: yeah with five minutes I, I like, uh, and that's one of the big beefs I have with competitions it's like despite like progressing at a rate that I'm pretty happy with yeah with competitions I, I've, I've never been decent at competitions man I could do gong like the blackout and stuff yeah uh, I've, uh, like I'm fine with that because
0: so with the gong I'm interested with gong uh, with did you did you change your set at all for that did you do like did you try and keep like punchlines like close together yeah yeah, yeah.
1: so with uh, let's say so with the blackout because they just time you out they're like you'll know when your 5 is up and then uh, that's right. so will you've done it okay. but with competitions I think I always try and pack in as much quote unquote good material with the punchlines basically yeah yeah and strip it down so it's just as many laughs as possible and I think that actually fucks my set up really I think it takes away from I think if you take away the general points out of my set mm. and the slow build ups to some of the bits they don't land quite as clean Yeah, and that's what I find with competitions where it's like and if you don't do that then your set comes across as a bit slow and a bit labored compared to somebody who's dropping six seven gags a minute Mm. and then you're like you know you can't win either way I guess
0: I haven't seen you perform yet so I'd I'd have to come down and see you sometime or at least have you at my night or something and uh, do you have like a high energy sort of
1: set or are you quite low energy or Uh, does that depend whether there's new material or not it depends on it depends on the bit uh I tr always always try and be into the material if that makes sense. So I'll always try and attach an emotion to something. I'll have like um I'll have an overarching narrative. So they say my my ten minutes now is two and a half minutes is about this TSA story. Yeah. About going through airport security. Uh and then the next seven and a half minutes is relationships. So that's the overarching na- narrative yeah, with that. Yeah but in there there's like three main emotions uh, which is like anger anger uh, disgust and then finally the light and airy bit right at the end mm. and what I'll try and do is I'll weave those three emotions into that set at the right bits okay and if I don't have high energy if I'm not into it or if I don't I guess I have to try and have a high level of performance I have to have the right level of performance energy doesn't really matter even if I'm Going for something that's a little bit more low energy. I need to have that level of performance and really perform mm. it in that way and like understand that in my head. But I would say I'm i'm somewhere in the middle i guess that's such yeah. a bullshit response <laughs> uh but it's I'm just
0: not, tepid water yeah
1: uh, that is if they, oh, wow that is going on my next poster that, <laughs> just, It's like tepid <laughs> water like i try and if i'm too high energy like some of my materials too dark for that then it just contrasts way too much yeah. and like people won't is that you, you want that as a review now to hear yeah <laughs> 100 just tepid water just tepid oh, fucking just dangerous tepid. there's <laughs> diseases in this shit <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I don't know I, and I guess that's a point as well actually because I'm so like, early on into everything I guess I'm still playing around with like who I am as a comedian yeah you got to find your voice there you yeah, go yeah find word, your stage yeah. voice mm-hmm. I guess first uh, previously I was like too I guess I didn't have that there was that base insecurity there of shit yeah. what if this doesn't work and I'm really into it then it just looks like I'm bombing or if I don't give a shit about it and I'm low energy it'll be fine but then low energy doesn't work And then, like, as soon as I built up, got rid of that insecurity of what if I'm not funny on the night, then it started, like, going places. Yeah. Where, like, and then, like, even in the smaller gigs, stuff will start to work because you're into it and, like, people buy into it more. Yeah.
0: Um, Did you know what? One of the things that motivates me the most about, about all of this is actually dying on stage. When it doesn't work, I actually, when I get back in that car i I often just literally run the whole set through my head again yeah. and just and actually perform it again in the car i've done it I've done it loads of times yeah. where i just I just get out of there and and I'm not saying I've died loads of times right I'm not died loads of times yeah. I, I just <laughs> but if i but there's not one gig that i go I come out of and I think I've absolutely stormed it. I always think that I always remember the bits I didn't do right or yeah. do it right you know so then I go back into and or on the way to a gig I'm practicing it all the way to the gig and then I get on there and sometimes it just doesn't work and I'm like. It's nowhere near what I just did, dynamite in the car. Yeah. But the thing that motivates me to write, in fact, is is one I'm driven by affirmation and driven by positivity and all those things that, like you know, you know praise obviously yeah. drives me. But sometimes I think, no, I want to bounce back from this, and, I, and yeah. I just want to get back on that stage and do it again and kill it this time. Yeah,
1: you you have to have that almost borderline level of disdain for people who tell you, oh, okay, yeah, that. That was okay, You or like, oh, you did great, but you know you haven't. And I always, I always have this mindset of if somebody tells me, oh no, maybe you just need to change this bit here. I was yeah. like, fuck you, this I- shit's gonna work.
0: <laughs> I remember listening
1: to—I
0: don't know if you know—of Robin Ince. He's a yeah. comedian yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He He did. He supported Ricky Gervais years back. And yeah. um, anyway, he does. He was telling me that. Um, well, he wasn't telling me. Fucking hell. <laughs> God, who, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> R- Robin Innes was was on a podcast with Ricky Gervais, and, and he was talking about about when he when he, when he was first on the circuit and stuff, and mm. or going you know working the clubs and stuff because he still doesn't coming out of there, and, and then people saying like I, people asking him what they thought of his set of of their set, yeah, right, and he's and if he was honest with them. They were like, oh, really? Did you really think that? Uh, like, when people get over-defensive about what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. So why are you asking in the first place? Yeah. Like, if you don't want to hear bad criticism, don't yeah. don't ask. Exactly, yeah. On the, yes. on, the um, on the flip side, don't come out and say, well, that was shit. And then if someone agrees with you, yeah. they go, like, oh, really? Was it? I didn't think it was that bad. Well, you just said it was shit yourself. So yeah. you, uh, what do you want from us? It's, like
1: it's weird. I feel like some like the more experienced acts I've been in. Actually, a fairly recent story. So, um, a comedian called Ria Lina. I she she was on the same night as me in Reading. I, the gig went pretty well, but then she 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 was speaking to me about one of my bits, and she came up with some really good constructive. I didn't even think it was criticism. It was more of a like a pointers, like different ideas associated yeah. to that. She was like, "Oh, have you thought about this?" And, have, and from there, like I'm now rewriting that bit where it's like now I'm like oh shit yeah there's so much more scope here
0: yeah and it's it, like- it can be difficult to receive criticism in the first instance yes. because it comes across as if you've literally just come off stage you don't want to hear that it went badly because at that point you actually just want to convince yeah. yourself that what you did was all right but on reflection on these things it's really helpful
1: yeah and i think you can't be you can't have that level of protection around and I, I, it's only natural like this is literally from the idea through to the finishing punchline, you've constructed this from your own hand. So it's easy to be defensive about stuff. Yeah. And like overprotective. But then if somebody pitches it to you in the right way, or you are genuinely looking for some pointers, I think you should ask, and then somebody, then the other person should have the emotional intelligence to be like, look, I'm not going to tell you it's all shit. These bits I loved. But have you thought or investigated the possibility of going down this route, or attaching this idea to it, or... Whatever, and when somebody comes up with constructive and, and almost forces you into rethinking certain things, mm. I think that's where the constructive element comes from. Where it's like they're not telling you it didn't work or you should you shouldn't do it like that. What they're saying is have a think about this, this, and this, and then which they is, fire those constructive. Yeah. yeah, they fire off those neurons in your own head, and boom, they're, yeah. they're, that's actually constructive.
0: Coming off and someone saying that was amazing or that was shit are too things that don't work it doesn't binary, really help binary yeah, yeah yeah and <laughs> binary that's such a it's, it's in like modern vocabulary yeah. everywhere now it's like woke
1: yeah oh, f- uh, no, we're gonna get started on modern culture again as well we're gonna be here yeah. for another six hours man yeah it's <laughs> fine
0: he's already bored of my company so we're gonna have to wrap up
1: yeah cool cool that's uh, you are oh. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm fucking around I'm fucking around <laughs> <laughs> your eyes winded I'm fucking around I'm joking I'll go as yeah. much time as you want <laughs> prick <laughs> what, what time is your Tinder date? Uh, s- I need to be in London for about seven, eight ish. All right, okay, well, we're going to finish off. Brother, I love Tinder. Okay, we were yeah. talking,
0: You mentioned Tinder earlier. I was well, there. okay, let's let's lead into this because um, <laughs> one of the things that became apparent from doing this podcast was that people were single, <laughs> and, and and it became like a dating like platform for. For like Don Mackey said, he was single. Yes. And it was After a girlfriend, and then and then Kitty came on and and basically marginalised pretty much every guy yeah, except yeah, a very yeah, yeah. specific you know type of person that she wanted, <laughs> which is wrong in so many ways. Yeah. And then I felt like I was a bit pimping pimping people out. Yeah. And I did have Paul Kerr on and it was a great conversation with him, but I didn't get onto the single topic. But you're right. single.
1: Yeah. Yep, yep. I'm
0: not pimping you out. And but I just
1: I'd earn you way too much money. There'd be a uh, you? money laundering concern <laughs> there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so Tinder, I mean, I used to use Tinder a lot, and it was a it was a numbers game. Yeah. it was just quite bright until someone liked the, what I look like, yeah, you know, and that's admittedly that's the way I worked I just like every other guy who uses yeah. Tinder yeah, yeah. right I know there's there's Bumble out which was big about a few months back i think and then and then the latest one is hitch, I think is the one that's, that's uh, hinge. hinge. Hinge, hinge is a hinge.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm clued up on that shit, straight away. Yeah, I'm
0: not, because I've been in a relationship for a while, so...
1: I, <laughs> yeah, but I I just hear a put lot. that out there. Please don't it, kill him. <laughs> yeah,
0: I hear a lot about this hinge and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Oh, fuck Yeah, Yeah, so you love Tinder. You got a Tinder date tonight, then?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm off onto the Tinderings today. Uh, yeah. Tinder, to me, is, like, it's incredible. So, Tinder never actually worked for me until I listed my height on there. Oh really? So for everybody watching and uh, ladies on six foot two, feel free to drop me a DM and that, uh, okay? Please, thanks. Did I mention to you that I went on a date with a racist once? No. No, nah, So um, went on a date with a. This is going back a few years now. So it was in Reading, like I said, real multicultural place. Yeah, yeah. Um, we ended up uh, meeting up for a drink. We'd been talking for a good while. So like my, I've got like a full on face picture. My name's on there um like i don't have like a fake white name or anything like oh, i'm harry <laughs> no <laughs> don't do that and um so she met, met up and stuff and then you know when you can tell somebody's real awkward yeah. around you so i was like okay what's up like we're 10 minutes in like this is getting a little bit weird she's like oh it's nothing it's just um i've never dated anybody that's not white I was it like, oh okay you know fair but fair thing to say um first time for everything she was like yeah mm, no I was like, okay. And then You've she sent my photo already. Then she, yeah, then she proceeded to tell me about how her dad's like full on EDL. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. Fucking and I was like, no. well, ironically, I really wanted a fucker then. Like, just <laughs> as, as payback. <laughs> but then, yeah, we left it. She Are played. you
0: that shit in bed? Are you really that awful in bed that you wanted to put her through that and to get her back by having sex with exactly. her? Exactly. Yeah. She
1: she would need a helpline call. She, she, she'd she be there. The, the, the. <laughs> oh, God. It was just and emotional support is what she would have needed on that day.
0: Yeah. I just need to remind myself that if I do ever do like a proper radio show, not to get you on <laughs> it. <laughs> no, this is
1: one of the things I love
0: about podcasts, man. What does the next year in comedy hold for you, man? What do, um, you, what do you hope to get out of the next year?
1: So like I said, last like... Especially the last like month or so, I would really say it's gone really well. Um, yeah. I've got I've got a couple of major bookings coming up at some top level clubs in. I'm um, backyard uh, in July. Yeah, um, so that, that I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Gonna go up to Edinburgh this year for uh, a week or so. Yeah, tr- try and get on a compilation or something. The goal uh, I had initially thought I was going to try and get a full run out there. But um, I don't think it's possible It's Very expensive as well. It's expensive yeah. and I don't think I'm like there for like, a full 45-hour slot. Uh, and that's what I'd want to do. Uh, yeah, I do want to do a split for my first time. But I've got uh, an hour coming up in Reading. Uh, that'll yeah. be in June. Uh, there'll be more details and stuff about that. But I'm really just concentrating on becoming a better comedian. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's the main goal, and that's what I'm going to try and go for.
0: Yeah, just 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 get better. Just just improve. get better. Yeah. I would advise like I know I know some some people have gone up without you know within the first year or second year um, up to Edinburgh, but it's worth it's worth just it's worth just going up there just with. Which is the, the the distinct idea to absorb the issue, yeah. the the you know the whole place and watch some of the comics and get on like you say a compilation uh, compilation thing because then you get a feel for the area anyway. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent. You you kind of get to see what the festival's all about and yeah. stuff as well. But I think um, I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna really focus on just taking things as they come. Uh, yeah. A lot of the advice and stuff that I got from people around timings or when you should be doing this or shouldn't be doing this, as I, I I found to be kind of redundant. Yeah. Um, People were saying, "Don't do, um, don't do bigger audiences until you're like three years in, four really? years in." Did you kind of think, well, you know, without yes, seeing, me- I guess
0: the reason is just because if the more people are in there, the more yeah. that you could you could lose. Yeah, for future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is this thing that they say you won't make it in the city you start
1: because so, they've seen you yeah. fucking die so many
0: times yeah that yeah and so if you do you do get to like a TV name or to do a tour they won't be the ones coming to your gigs yeah it'd be whoever whoever else has seen you so yeah uh, but that's fine that's okay because then you'll always have like, like go back to your hometown to have like a like a year a homecoming thing. yeah, yeah exactly. so. but
1: yeah no that, that, that's, that's the next year for me just keep getting better uh keeps building and just having a f- having fun with it man yeah life's so deprived of fun like in, in general if you look at like mm. just life and you're at like, work a nine to five oh, God. eat yeah. sleep shit <laughs> maybe sleep fuck shit. if you're lucky mm. and your tinder game's on point and you're over <laughs> see how tonight <laughs> goes mate <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah the, that's it man <laughs> that's, that's me that's me in a nutshell
0: well, thanks so much for joining me, Preet. That's uh, been a really great conversation.
1: Yeah, man, it's been interesting. Thanks for having me on and stuff as well. I, lo- I love the chat. Yeah. Uh, I like that you didn't shy away from some of the darker shit I was getting <laughs> <into>. <laughs> It's important to talk about them, man. It's really important yeah. to talk about them.
0: <laughs> well, wow, what a fantastic conversation. I, it's really difficult to, you know, come off the back of that and and sort of sum it up really because it it jumped in many different directions and many different places but it was an incredible conversation and I I just really hope that as a society we get to a point that we are all unique we are all different because being different is good and being unique is good but I just hope that in terms of, like, religion and sex and gender and ethnic ethnicity or religion, that we just get to the point that we just appreciate people for being a people. You know, someone's a fantastic comedian for being a fantastic comedian. Someone's, you know, a brilliant actor for being a brilliant actor, whether they're male or female. You know, someone's a fantastic doctor because they're a brilliant doctor. They're a great intellect because they're just a great intellect. You need to get away from this sort of, like, categorizing people in places. And I know, like, for marketing and demographic and stuff, we do use generalizations and stereotypes to place people in, in ways that we can target them for, like, marketing and stuff. But from a societal point of view, you know, he mentioned a bit about, you know, someone just booking people because they're a certain color or booking people because they're a certain sex. It's great that these things are out there and their opportunities are out there, but it should just be a bill of fantastic comedians. Whoever they are, whatever they've done in their life, they should just be there based on their merits and how good they are. So we just need to get to that point in, in society and I, I really look forward to being in a world that's like that. On a slightly lighter note, you know, just get get on the website, lukeanthonycomedy.credituk forward slash TCO podcast and if you can donate, that's fantastic. Anything you donate helps contribute to this podcast. Follow me on Twitter, that's Luke A Comedian. And follow me on Facebook, it's Luke A Comedian as well. Any of the details about preaching, about how you can follow him, will all be in the show notes, so please do follow him too. For now, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I'll see you soon. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about The Stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet The Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.